الإيمان بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala We seek blessings on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Okay, <clears throat> so continuing our exploration of Surat Al-Baqarah We last time got into detail of about the the causes of of uh, getting misguided and the essence that Allah Taala does not misguide anyone except for people of misconduct. And then we had three attributes or three uh, focuses foci focuses of misconduct. One is essentially misconduct with Allah. You break your pact with Allah. A second one is misconduct in terms of your relationships, where you break off relationships. And then the third one is creating corruption in the world. And the simplest definition of corruption in the world is that when you are doing a sin or a crime with someone else, meaning if it's one person, it's bad, and you're still harming yourself, still harming society. But if two people do it together, that is corruption. And and so what's interesting is that the punishments uh, in, in Islam that involve multiple people tend to be really huge and really severe compared to the, the punishments involving an individual person. So having said that, and we're now finishing off this, this introductory or this, this section on foundational concepts. So let's first look at the ayahs that are relevant and then we're gonna pull it all together uh, if, uh, if uh, inshallah we have time. So let's go to the screen share right here. Once again, someone nod, let me know so you can see the crown on your screen. Okay, very good. Okay, so on uh, 26 and 27, Allah does not misguide anyone except for the faucet, and then we have the attributes of the faucets, and now looking at 28 and 29. So the whole section was 21 through 29. I literally just misplaced my pen. Others, oh, okay. So, ayah 28. How can you reject Allah? You were lifeless, and he gave you life. So you were lifeless, he gave you life, and then he will cause you to die. And again, he will bring you back to life, and then to him will you all be returned. Okay. So after this whole section, just scrolling up and such, this whole section on foundational concepts, we can call this your most basic call to the deen or your most basic call to Allah which is what you are going to die why would you reject yeah. so a way to think about this is regardless of uh, of what people agree or disagree upon just about everybody, and by just about everybody, I'm saying 99.9999% of the people will agree that, yes, I am going to die. So then what was the ayah saying? Okay. <clears throat> He's the one who brought you to life, and you're going to die, and you're going to go to him, whether you believe it or not. So let's take this, you know, let's explore this point from a couple of other perspectives. Because what is common across uh, religions, especially in a little bit in philosophies, but especially in religions, 
is the question of what happens after we die. Okay. And so, so here, so yes. First and foremost, uh, in terms of the, the parts of life in Islam, we've already talked about that, right? Have we like the five different uh, phases of life? Anybody remember? Does it sound familiar? Dunya, before dunya, we have something. Anybody remember what the first phase is? Uh, pre, yeah. uh, pre, pre-era, like before womb of the mother, mother. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so just to redraw it really quickly for, for those who, who might be forgetting. So first, at some point, we are in this pre-eternity state, sort of with Allah, Allah knows best, without time, without location, beyond time. And then we enter our mother's womb. Majority opinion is that this is uh, after 120 days after conception. Then we enter this worldly life. Mother's womb is called Baraham. And then we're here until we die. And then we enter Barzakh, the condition of death. We don't really have a word for this in English. And then we begin and enter the day of judgment. So this is birth. This ends with what we call death. This is the, the trumpets and the resurrections. So the angel of the day of judgment is going to blow a trumpet. Anyone whose life is going to die, blow a second trumpet. Everyone is going to be resurrected. Okay. And then again, on the day of judgment, the result is either we go to heaven or we go to we go to hell. And then some people, maybe everyone, but at least some people will then after hell go to heaven. Okay. So this is just to put us again on the same page in terms of what we're saying. So we were dead meaning we were without life at some point. And then he gave us life. And then we are going to die. And then we're going to return to Allah. And so, so, so here's what we're saying is, is happening. Now, where does everybody agree? Everyone agrees with this and this, yeah? So everyone agrees. I mean, I always will have some strange undergrad that's going to say, no, I'm not sure if we're going to die. I think we're going to cure death. I think Google is going to cure death at some point. And so what is the most basic call of Islam is you are going to die. So if you don't believe in Allah, then if you don't believe that there's a God, if you don't believe there's a day of judgment, then what is your, what is your future going to be when you die? Anyone? So I'm saying about the hypothetical atheist. Nothing. So you're basically 
nothing. You are going to be fertilizer at best. Now to make that point further, you are not gonna have any consciousness. Meaning whatever happens in this world is outside of your existence because you no longer have existence. So then if we take it a step further, what are we saying? That if the end result is that I am nothing, then it doesn't matter how I lived my life. So you have two twins, you know, I always like to use twins. Twin number one dedicates their whole life to serving people and goes into scientific research and cures 50 diseases, okay? Twin number two is the opposite and says, I'm just gonna destroy, destroy and consume the world. And twin number one saved a thousand lives. Twin number two kills 5,000 people. Then in the, from the perspective of the atheist, it is irrelevant which one you are. What do you think? Because there is no accountability and because when you die, you don't exist anymore. So you won't even be able to have hope, regret, satisfaction. You literally do not exist anymore. What do you think? Is there a hole somewhere in, my, in the way I just depicted it? That if I take atheism to its logical conclusion, the logical conclusion is what we call nihilism or nihilism, where nothing matters. thoughts? I mean, I'm talking to a room full of Muslims, so, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. Late. Uh, so just to, uh, along that line of reasoning, would the atheist push back to some kind of worldly legacy as being the end goal? Yeah, totally. I mean, these, this is exactly the conversation that I have had, that, you know, I live a life of meaning. And I say that's great for you, but you have to admit that it means nothing to you when you die. And on top of that, someone else who does the exact opposite causes nothing but destruction and pain. Their life is just as irrelevant as yours is. And so likewise, for the legacy that you're leaving, you're not even going to exist to feel good about it. Because all those people are eventually going to die. Make sense? Yes. Thank you. So, again, you know, I mean, we're preaching to the fire here. This is different than having a conversation with atheists. And so what we're saying here is that if we take Dean, if we're taking Islam to its logical conclusion, its most basic, 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 basic point here is that you, know, you are going to die. And whether you believe it or not, you're going to be returning to Allah. And the fact that you've been given life, it's coming from him. The fact that you're given death is also coming from him as well. Which then means what? So you can live your life in conformity with that, or you can live your life in rejection, a resistance of that. And resistance also includes, I don't want to think about it, you know, um, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'll worry about it when I get old or something. So we're saying this is the most basic uh, bottom line call. So, so in I-28 uh, and 29,
it's literally the most basic call to Allah, meaning the most basic call for us to turn to Allah, da'wa ilallah. And so one aspect is the reality of death. Let's call it the reality of death. And then I 29 will give us another aspect of it. So let's look at that. Again. Okay. Oops, I 29. He is the one who created everything in the earth for you. And then he turned to the heavens. And then he formed it into seven heavens. And now, and he has knowledge of all things. And so, even more basic than the basic call is that Allah is the one who who knows all, and He's the one who made all. So, going back to the whiteboard again. Hopefully, I'm not going to give you whiplash from going back and forth. So, the most basic of basic. That Allah knows. And created. All. Okay. I mean, that's essentially what that's saying. Allah is the one who who created everything for you, and then He turned to the skies and He made the seven skies, and Allah knows all. Okay. If this, if, if these are summaries of Ayah twenty eight and twenty nine, what is common among both of these ayahs? If we were to put these together as one content, one comment, what's common among both of these? Okay. And so once again, it might be easier if you if you look at the ayah. But again, we're saying reality of death. You were lifeless. You gave life. Then you will die. And return. So exactly, Jewel. One aspect of it is literally how can you or why would we deny Allah? And then this is um, created all for you. Then he formed the world. And Allah knows all. So the basic call is literally the the common element here is literally that first part of that of I twenty eight. How can you deny, or why deny? Now, what else then becomes 
implicit here is on top of this, if Allah is the one who made me, who formed me, who gave me life, who then is going to you know give me death and then return me to him. And then in Ayah 29, he's the one who then created everything for me. So if if Allah gave me that much focus, then what? The part that we've already addressed, how can I deny Allah? How would you fill in this blank? Anyone? I should give Allah that focus? Yeah, and how do I give Allah that focus? So, so try to do it without terminology. One of the things that you've all been seeing over and over again throughout, throughout is even though we're teaching terminology, also when we're explaining, try to avoid the terminology. So when we're saying have taqwa, what are we saying? We follow Allah's guidance. We follow. Okay, okay. So then we should... dedicate ourselves and our time. Or another way of saying this, we should not waste time. We should not waste what we've been given. Yeah. Because what else is saying is being said here that uh, if Allah has, if Allah, the creator of all, the most majestic, whose name is literally the most majestic thing that my tongue can say, if he has given me that much attention that he is giving me life, he is taking away my life, giving me death, and then returning me to him, and then he created everything around for me, then my existence is not arbitrary. My existence is of a very high level of value. So I should live up to my value. So in a simple sense, what are we saying? Okay, you're going to die. Why would you reject Allah? And then even simpler than that, we're saying Allah created everything and created everything for you and I. Just like we saw at the beginning of Ayah 21, right? He made the earth a resting place for you. He made the sky a ceiling. And then he brings out water from the sky and brings forth fruit as your sustenance, your sustenance. So what we're saying is that you and I have been given an immeasurable innate worth. So to make it up to a law, we should live up to it. And again, as an idea, that's a really nice idea. But think about in your day-to-day -day actions, what does that mean? It means then, you know, the what I do with my time should be worth the status that Allah has given me. So imagine, uh, you know, and I think I've given these examples, I just take them straight from Rumi, where basically he's saying, imagine you have a really, really, really beautiful sword. Okay. 
finest steel. You know, it's even engraved and everything. And then you're using that sword to basically to cut vegetables. You're not using that sword for the value of what it's worth. Or you have, this is not coming from me, obviously, that you have the most wonderful luxury car. So whatever the most luxurious of luxurious cars is, you have that. And then you're using it basically to, to carry, you know, in the farm to carry, you know, manure back and forth. It's beneath the value of that car. And so this is what we're called to. At one level, it's just simply belief. But then going deeper, what are we being called to? Live up to the worth that you and I have been given. Okay, thoughts, reflections on that. Anyway. Shella. Um, so this is good food for reflection. Um, so what came to my mind when um, we were talking about this was like how I have people like in my family that I see doing such good things. And, you know, in my eyes, you know, they're like working for the good of this world and for, you know, maybe not consciously um, on, you know, being great, you know, grateful to Allah, like, for instance, like they don't pray and do all the things that, you know, we're told to do in the Quran, but they're good people and they're striving for that. So are those people then meeting these criteria or are they not because they're not stopping to be, you know, thankful and, you know, they're not acknowledging that. I mean, there's so many, I mean, and there's atheists too, right. That are mm -hmm. the same way that are doing a lot of good in this world. Um, I don't know. It's just, I don't really have a question, just, just oh. some thoughts that came to mind. And, you know, and like, for instance, like when I have discussions with some of these people in my family about like praying and, you know, just discussing, well, why, why don't you pray? And they say things like, oh, you know, God doesn't need me to pray to him. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, yeah, that's true. But like, we need, you know, we need that. It's because Allah has told us that it's good for us. So instead, I feel like they, these people are like, focusing their life on bettering the world and that's how they're serving Allah. Mm -hmm. So they're doing part of the, part of the deen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in there's terms a of lots what, of people. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us can identify non-Muslims who are really great upright people. Right. And I mean, if we can't, then there's a problem here, but um, the, uh, so, so, so the long-term answer to that is, okay, Allah's going to judge everybody fairly. Right. But in terms of what we're speaking about here, that yeah, if someone is uh, spending their time in prayer, okay, as prescribed, then they are fulfilling uh, part of their value, right? They're fulfilling their high value. If they're if they're spending their time in providing good to other people's lives, then they're living their value, right? In terms of the core intentions of each of these people, Allah knows best, because it could be that the person's praying is actually praying to show off, right? It could be that the person who is being generous is doing it only to feel good about themselves, right? But assuming if we're just talking about the action aspect, then yeah, then a person, those are among the most virtuous or the most noble of, of actions. One would be the acts of worship and then the other would be fulfilling the obligations you have to, to, to creation. 
And so the manifestation of it, we could add a third person who is, you know, someone who's spending their time in nature taking care of plants and animals and such, right? And, and so then what does Dean then provide is a framework or priorities of all those things for each of us. But as a principle, yeah, I would agree with you. You know, how they will be judged will be by Allah. You know, um, that if someone is super generous, but they're rejecting God, yeah, then that's being addressed in these ayahs that we're looking at. Any other yes. thoughts or reflections? Yeah, uh, uh, Wasim. Yes. I think that based on uh, these ayahs and going through the whole Quran and looking at what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done for us, starting from creation and then providing for us and being the provider and everything. The, the, the essence of our response would be in this ayah that I think that is mm-hmm. so at least we should know and give the credit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and remember him mm-hmm. and thank him for whatever we have and whatever we are and there are only two responses either we are thankful and grateful or we are ungrateful oh, so uh, translate the ayah for everyone uh, so, you remember me and I'll remember you. And thank me and be grateful to me and do not be the among those who reject yeah. my blessings. And You can even take it further. Uh, so, we could translate it as remember me and then I'll remember you or remember me and even if you don't remember me, I remember you. Meaning, we, if we read those as separate, so you should remember me. I remember you. See what I'm saying? Um, That's secondary to your point. It's a, it doesn't change your point. Right, right. Yeah. So, but I think that one of the things is that uh, the remembrance is very important because in, in the Quran you will read that that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forget you on the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. He won't talk to you. He won't clean, clean you. And that could be the meaning of it that when it is really needed, then when you are needed to be remembered, then you would not be recognized. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think that is probably. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I would say, uh, I mean, so, so, so much of the whole course has been about a person's consciousness. And right. so the more your consciousness is on Allah, especially gratitude. Absolutely. That's been one of the central points we've had from the beginning. The only caution I'd give is I wouldn't suggest that it's either uh, gratitude or ingratitude. Um, and this is, uh, this is just my own opinion that you can have a point of lack of gratitude, but it's not ingratitude. You could have a zero point as well. That's, that's more just, uh, that's just more theoretical, but ultimately it'll still wind up being one way or the other. Any other thoughts, reflections on this? So in the, in the beginning uh, of Surah Fatah, we, uh, we talked about, uh, everything is, uh, is uh, interaction with Allah. Every communication or every interaction is communication with Allah, right? If yeah. I, my, my personal focus with Allah and if I'm communicating with someone else, it's interaction with Allah. Yeah. So so th- th- that's a context. If, uh, for example, comparing the atheist, so we do the excellent deeds with, with, the, with the realization that uh, we are interacting mm-hmm. uh, directly with Allah. Mm-hmm. Uh, even I'm interacting with someone else. So... Mm-hmm it will bring more hope and more faith of having of, of things that will be better 
in the future, even though it may not look. But uh, in terms of atheist, he may rely on whatever the facts in hand, mm-hmm. uh, politically or scientifically, and he will rely on that. He may go maybe disappointed at some point or may not, maybe uh, we don't know. So, so means uh, I believe in, in, in terms of faith, uh, with the with the package of faith, with the with the interaction and focus in between Allah with towards Allah and Allah's focus, realization of Allah's focus towards you makes you may, in, in in the end will have better effect on the on the peace in the world. If if we look, if, if look only in the in terms of the world, mm-hmm. I think theoretically sure. I mean, but I think uh, we're all preaching to the choir at this point as well that. Um, uh, that if there's more faith in the world, then you know the world would be a much more secure, calm place. In, in theory, I would agree with you, but then we also have hypocrites, you know, as we've been seeing this ayah. So, uh, yeah. um, so it would be distinguishing between if there was more iman in the world versus more Muslim, more religion in the world, so to speak. Uh, uh, relate to this point. Um, there was something else that you said a moment ago that. Um, Okay, it has slipped me, but maybe it'll come back to me, inshallah. Uh, Shala. So here's a question. Is it possible to be close to Allah without praying, um, you know, any form of praying, like dua even? Is it possible that there's people who are truly close to Allah without that? I'm just thinking, this came to mind because when we were talking about the different ways to connect to Allah, for instance, one of the ways was like, knowing the names of Allah, yeah. right? So if you're doing that only, for instance, and you're not doing the other things, it's, can you get very yeah. close to Allah through just one of these routes? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say yes, as long as it doesn't include rejection of any of the other routes. Right? If it includes rejection of any of the other paths, then no. Uh, then it's just narcissism pretending to be uh, close enough to Allah. But let's say I haven't been taught these other routes or something like that, um, then absolutely. Um, that it is possible to, to have a very close relationship with Allah. In fact, uh, when Hamza, the, the uncle of the Prophet, uh, became Muslim, uh, he, he said something along those lines. I mean, so he becomes Muslim in, in, in a unique way where Abu Jahl and his cronies are attacking the Prophet, peace upon him, with, you know, in multiple nasty ways, they're physically hitting him. And then they're putting the entrails of animals on him. And then Fatima Zahra is, is taking it off him. And then Hamza comes in and pushes them back. And, and then he says, his religion is my religion. So that's how he did, the, that's how he converted. And then he is apparently saying that, you know, when I'm out hunting in, in the wilderness, uh, he says something like, you know, I know this is not all arbitrary. Yeah. That there, there, that there is something more. And he may have said that there is a creator, but I think they all believed in Allah anyway. So that'd be an example of something like that. I would say, yeah, absolutely. With the asterisk that as long as it doesn't involve rejection of any of the other approaches. Any other thoughts, uh, reflections on any of this? before we put it all together. Uh, I just want to add uh, one thing here. So earlier you gave an example about the atheistic understanding, giving to an example of twin. 
Now, from the high level, the, the politism and atheism, actually, they do agree in certain points. What I mean, those points are that, like, they would say matter is eternal, right? And then in the case of time and space, they would say, oh, those are also eternal. The cycle of time, they, they kind of circumscape, like saying it's a multiverse thing. So there is some motivation from their end as well. Uh, compared to us as a, uh, you know, uh, a believer. Uh, same in the polytheism, they will say some, you know, uh, reincarnation or some, you know, Kala Chakkar or all those kind of things, you know. Mm-hmm. So so how, I mean, and then their argument would be, look, we are doing such, we are, we are achieving so many things, you know, we did this, we did that, especially the docking and, and there's those, uh, you know, they call it the, uh, uh, what they call the militant atheism. They have a yeah. point and a lot of uh, believers kind of, uh, you know, uh, and it captures a lot of believers' minds. So how, how are you going to put those things, uh, adding, uh, keeping the keeping your twin example in mind? Yeah, sure, sure. So, uh, so if we, if if I'm an atheist, uh, and I'm and in my case, I'm only basing everything on science, then. Uh, any belief in the multiverse or this idea of infinite regressions that, you know, you have, you know, the, you have big bang creation of the universe, collapse of the universe, another big bang creation of your universe. Okay. All of that is outside of science. That's belief as much as me saying, you know, you should believe that there are angels and jinns and such. And, and so, uh, uh, so the point being that if I'm believing in all of these other things, then I'm not a science only person. Uh, and so now I have my own religion, right? And I can claim to be atheist all I want, but I'm saying, if I'm saying that there's stuff that there's no data for, because even the, the Big Bang is what? The Big Bang is an interpretation of data. You know, it's a majority opinion, just like when we speak of majority opinions in terms of fiqh and this and that. And if, if uh, I've never come across, and I've been out of it for a while, but uh, I've never come across actual data uh, that is then used to conclude even that there's a multiverse, right? I mean, we talk much more about multiverse these days than we did even 10 years ago. Um, um, but of all the articles that I've, that I've read on it, I mean, there's no data. It's speculation. And so... That sounds a lot like religion, you know, for, for a whole lot of people. Uh, what do you think about? So you, you mean like now they kind of switch their position going towards more like making it a religion sort of? So kind of yeah, it's basically it's a, system, of it? it's a sense of it's a, a sense of belief. It's a system of beliefs. You know, that I believe this thing is true that I have no evidence for. The need to believe in it is to try to explain how do we come from nothing. And without believing in a supreme being. So, so then if I believe all of this is eternal, and, and uh, I mean, so that's a, a belief. I mean, we call it a law right now, the law of conservation of matter. Uh, but I think people have started poking holes in that. Uh, and, and, but the point is that uh, there's no explanation for what happened before the Big Bang. The believers 
we'll say, well, okay, well, that's proof of Allah. We call that the God of the gaps theory. Or we'll even say, okay, well, Allah called it, called us the Big Bang. And here we have an ayah. Uh, but uh, the so the Big Bang itself is an interpretation for the origins of the universe, which incidentally was by a devout Christian. And, uh, and so... Um, as a majority opinion, it might change, you know, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, there might be a completely different interpretation of the data. But still, nobody has uh, anything beyond a hypothesis for what's beyond what's before the Big Bang. Which means it's just a belief. And that is sort of what belief is, right? It's speculation. Was there, I was... Yeah, go ahead. I was listening to a public lecture of astrophysicist, and she was explaining the galaxies and how the galaxies are like they're going to yeah. collide and this and that. So, so she says that I often get this question from the students. They ask that uh, that uh, what was before Big Bang, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so she says that uh, from from uh, from she says that before whether the time existed or not, we cannot tell because our existence. Uh, came after the creation of universe. So our intellectual or physical body and everything, thought process, everything that developed after the creation of the universe. So we will never be able to imagine or understand uh, before time, before time was created. And then like after so many billions of years, years. So the only thing is that if you really want to understand, you have to go towards spirituality and this and that. So she, she Absolutely. I mean, I would even and, and religious. Yeah, I mean, I would even suggest that's one approach. Another approach is to, is to what's the word, uh, come up with theory better than the Big Bang, you know, or more precise interpretation of the data, which might be something completely different. But, uh, but uh, Iqbal, so you see the point that I'm making, that uh, all the science we have is, is in the limits of the observable universe or the observable world. And so whatever is before it, it's not even possible to have data. It's literally all theories or ideas. It's just beliefs. So, 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 the, so summarize it is all goes to the Kalam, for the Kalam cosmological argument or nothingness not going to come up. And then nothingness will really lead to nothingness. That's where okay. it's boiled down to. So aside from Kalam cosmological argument, again, avoiding the terminology, the, the basic point is that uh, right now, the theory is that something came from nothing. Yes. The Big okay. Bang basically means something came from nothing. Yeah. And so whatever was in that nothingness was not a thing. Which then means that um, that is the big question mark. You know, where did all of this begin? For a believer, it's easy. Well, it came from Alamia, right? But, um, but um, uh, that's more of an excuse than an actual explanation, except if we're just saying Allah is the creator of all. Um, and uh, related to this, well, I can't remember. Okay, uh, Shelley, your question. Is there a classification for people who feel deep gratitude but don't direct it to Allah? I mean, we'd still call them thankful people, but if we're speaking in terms of, of the classifications in the Quran, uh, I'm not aware this I would expect I would probably find in like a Sufi text um, of different classifications of personality types. Uh, but yeah, Allah knows best because most uh, uh, or most, if not all, of the classifications we find in the Quran 
relates specifically to a person standing in the relationship with God. Yeah. And so someone who is grateful to everyone and grateful for existence without necessarily uh, uh, directing it to a law. Uh, it might even be there somewhere in the Quran, but I'm not recalling, but I would imagine we find it like specifically in Sufi literature. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? Okay, so what we will do then tomorrow, inshallah, is now put ayahs 21 through 29 together and then look for common themes there. So think in ayah 21, we had the first command. Ayah 22, we had the second command. 23 and 24, we had the prescription for doubt. 25, we had the, the, um, the third command. And then 26, on the one hand, we talked about uh, how Allah uses metaphors, but then 26 and 27, Allah does not misguide anyone except for such and such people. And then 28 and 29, we had this section on um, the basic, basic, basic call. And so we call this whole section the foundational call, uh, uh, call in or commands and foundational concepts. And so we're going to put all that together. And then, inshallah, we're going to try to see how it relates to the material that came before. And we're going to see how it sets up the material, inshallah, that's going to come next. The overall point being, you know, that I mentioned before, that there is an apparent logic in the whole narrative of the Quran that, you know, as you get close to it, you see it all unveiling itself, inshallah. Alrighty, if there uh, is no more questions, thoughts, then we'll stop right here and continue tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell the word to you all, inshallah, and we'll see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.